This is the TriDot Podcast. TriDot uses your training data and genetic profile combined with predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to optimize your training, giving you better results in less time with fewer injuries. Our podcast is here to educate, inspire, and entertain. We'll talk all things triathlon with expert coaches and special guests. Join the conversation and let's improve together. Together. Hey folks, welcome to the TriDot Podcast. Today on the show, we're talking all about taking care of your bike. Our bike is usually the most expensive piece of gear that we own, so it's well worth looking after it properly. Joining us for this conversation is TJ Tollickson from Diamond Bikes. TJ is the owner of Diamond Bicycles and the founder and CEO of Rooster Sports. He raced in the pro field for 16 years and has two Ironman victories, one North America championship title, and many more pro podium finishes on his resume. He studied industrial engineering at the University of Iowa and now brings his love of triathlon and engineering prowess into creating the most advanced bikes on the planet. And I ride one of those bikes myself, happy to be a Diamond Marquee owner. Uh, TJ, how is it going at Diamond headquarters today? Yeah, Andrew, thank you. It's great. Uh, it's it's uh, about two feet of snow on the ground a week ago, and this week it's been <laughs> raining every day here. Um, so we just have a slushy mess. But uh, so we're not doing a lot of outside biking. Uh, but you know, this is the time of year things really heat up for us at Diamond. We call this dream season. So it's yeah. when everyone's dreaming of. Uh, being in a warmer destination and racing. And so a lot of bikes are actually purchased this time of year. Our next guest is from a little farther north, uh, probably probably got more snow than the two feet that TJ got. Uh, but we also have TriDot coach Chris Navin from Chicago, Illinois. Chris has raced over 100 triathlons and 250 endurance races. He is a Kona finisher, a 38-time marathoner, a 20-plus time Ironman uh, ranking as high as ninth in the United States and 33rd in the world uh, when it comes to the Ironman age group rankings. A little bit faster than I am, Chris is. Uh, he is a level two USA triathlon certified coach and head endurance coach of four star endurance and the team to end AIDS. Coach Chris, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be back. Did you, in fact, get more than two feet of snow a couple weeks ago? <laughs> We did not get more than two feet. We, we got okay. maybe up, up to a foot or so, but yeah, it's all melted now, luckily. So the roads are finally clearing up. So I was actually thinking about getting out for a ride in, in the next week or so, if it stays uh, warm enough. Yep. Do that. Absolutely do it. I am Andrew, the average triathlete, voice of the people and captain of the middle of the pack. As always, we'll roll through our warm up question, settle in for our bike maintenance main set conversation and then wind things down uh, by getting a coach cool-down tip from one of our TriDot coaches. Lots of good stuff. Let's get to it. Time, time, time to warm up. Let's get moving. My warm-up questions do not usually match the main topic of uh, a show, but today uh, I actually am going to be on topic with our warm-up. Uh, for even the most mechanically inclined amongst us, if you ride bikes long enough, you will at some point have some sort of uh, mechanical mishap, if you will. It could be something that happens while you were out on a ride. It could be a misadventure in fixing something at home or in the shop. Uh, regardless, I want to hear everyone's biggest bike equipment mishap. TJ Tollickson. You're up first. All right. Well, I've got kind of two of these same instances, but I'm going to talk about the first one because the first one was the most traumatic. Um, <laughs> and so I was, it was 2005. I was living at the Olympic Training Center. Um, little trivia thing here is during this time period, Tim O'Donnell, who's also a TriDot coach, was my roommate yep. there. Um, just tells you how old we are. Um, so, uh, I was doing hill repeats on a famous route in, in Colorado Springs called Cave of the Winds and I snapped my first chain. And if you've never snapped the chain, I can explain what happens to you, but you basically go as hard as you can forward on the bike and your <laughs> groin region seems to end up on the handlebars. 
um, leading to quite the surprise um, feeling at the same time you are trying to avoid crashing your bike. So um, it stinks because you break the chain and then you can no longer pedal, the bike is useless. Uh, and so that first time I did that, uh, I turned around, I coasted as far down the hill as I, as I could, right? I just let the bike roll and then yeah. I had to get off and I had to walk back to the Olympic Training Center uh, till I could put a new chain on the bike. So breaking a chain is not fun uh, and it makes for quite the uh, long walk home. Nice uh, bike misadventure from TJ there. Looking forward to hearing Coach Chris's. Coach Chris, did yours also involve a growing injury? <laughs> no, but um, actually, I guess something that's a little bit close to that. Uh, um, okay. <laughs> when I when I when I got my uh, first tri bike, um, actually, I had a couple of mishaps. I've, I've done a, a number of triathlons. So I, I've had plenty of good stories, but the the first one is the most vivid one in my memories. I got my first tri bike finally after a couple of years of racing triathlon. And I was signed up for the Chicago Triathlon Triple Challenge. And I had the day before uh, changed my saddle because I had just gotten the bike. Perfect. Yeah. And perfect. I did a little ride, so I thought everything was good. Um, and I didn't have a torque wrench, so I didn't actually like check, you know, did I have the right amount of torque when I, when I put the bolts on. And so as soon as I got on the bike right away, the first couple pedal strokes, um, the saddle came loose and the nose tilted down and I was doing the triple challenge. So this was the uh, second race or the second day, first race. So I did the entire Olympic distance uh, Chicago triathlon, um, holding the saddle up with my thighs, just holding, holding the saddle in place, uh, not able to support my body weight. So my, my groin definitely felt it. And then the worst part was after I did the Olympic distance, came back in, racked my bike in transition, and it wouldn't rack because the seat was so loose, it would just <laughs> fall back down. And I finished the race, but then I had to line back up and do the other race, the sprint distance race right afterwards. So I already knew and, and could anticipate that my, my saddle was loose and I didn't have the tool to fix it or anything. So I just sucked it up and did another triathlon with a, a loose saddle. You, you just wanted to make the triple challenge a little bit harder on yourself. That's all. You wanted to really... I guess so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, really challenge yourself. Uh, I'm, I'm going to share kind of a, a misadventure in working on my bike. Uh, my, my previous tri-bike, I was switching from 172.5 crank set to a 165 crank set. And I, I, I kind of assumed, like, okay, I think this is something that I can do. I think I can fix this. I'm sure I can find a YouTube video that shows me how to switch out crank sets. Uh, and so I get home, I, 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 I do manage to take off the old crank set and I, I, I have all the parts for the new crank set and, and I, I, I'm thinking, oh, I'm about to, I'm about to do this via YouTube video and then go for my training ride tomorrow. And I quickly realized that, uh, when you change crank sets, different crank sets need different bottom brackets. And, uh, I definitely did not have the bottom bracket I needed for the new crank set and, uh, which wouldn't have been a big deal. I could have just taken it to the shop and, and had them very quickly do it. But since I had undone like everything on the bike, like it became just a whole big fiasco. And if I had just taken it to the shop in the first place and recognized this is this is above my head when it comes to fixing my bike, I, I could have, I could, it would have been an easy thing. And it became just a huge thing. And uh, I was able to get it done, but uh, I didn't get it done myself. And uh, that's gonna that's gonna lend. lend into some questions on today's topic when we get to the main set. But that's my story. We're going to ask this question on Facebook, so make sure you're a part of the I Am Trot Facebook group. We have t tens of thousands of triathletes talking swim, bike, and run every day of the week, and I always throw this question out. I am very excited to hear uh, what misadventures you've had with your bike, whether you were fixing something on it, working on it, or riding it. Uh, can't wait to hear your stories. Uh, so find the Facebook post posing this question to you and let us know what's happened to you on your bike. On to the main set. Going in three, two, one. Hey folks, TriDot is currently running the 2024 edition of our annual research project that we call the Preseason Project. We are looking for non-TriDot athletes who want to jump into the research project this year. Qualifying athletes get two free months of TriDot training. It is literally two months of the best training available in exchange for TriDot getting to analyze the training data that comes in from those sessions. 
I started training with TriDot during the 2018 preseason projects and immediately took a liking to the structured training schedule. And I started seeing huge improvements in my swim, bike, and run. Even once the two-month research project was over, I committed fully to TriDot training and have used it for everything from local sprints to my very first Ironman. I'm fitter and faster than I've ever been, and more importantly, I'm enjoying my races, the sport, and the triathlon community much more than before. I also have a podcast now, but that is a different story for a different day. If you are already training with TriDot, now is the best time to invite your Tri friends to participate in the preseason project. And if you are a podcast listener and have never given our training a try, use the link in the description for today's show to see if you qualify. Whether you are installing new parts or maintaining the ones you've already got, properly maintaining our bike takes the right tools and a little bit of the right know-how. Lucky for us, we've got two bike experts here to catch us up to speed, fill us in, make sure we uh, don't have the kind of problems I had in my warm-up story. Uh, and guys, I'm going to ease us into this conversation by asking a question, talking about a bike care step that everybody listening should be taking, regardless of how mechanical they may or may not be. Everybody should be washing their bike from time to time. So our opening question, nice little softball. Everybody listening should be doing this. How often should we be washing our bike? And what steps should we take in keeping a clean bike? TJ. This is going to depend on how often you're riding it and what conditions you're going to ride it. So at a minimum, I would say wash your bike every month. Okay. And that, that would be like, I'm not, I'm like, I'm riding on the trainer and I've got it well protected. I'm not spilling anything on it. If you're riding outside regularly, that probably needs to be a weekly thing. And if you're riding outside in rain or mud or slush or uh, berries on the ground, that needs to be daily. Okay, so it just depends wow. on on the conditions you're riding. The last thing that you want to do is go ride your bike in the rain and put it away wet. Okay, you don't ever want to okay. do that, right? So um, as soon as you're done riding, you at least need a towel to wipe the bike off, dump any water out of the frame. That's the biggest protection that you can have. Uh, if uh, conditions are ideal, and that's why I say inside and it's not super toxic on the bike, you can get by with a month without cleaning your bike, but I wouldn't ever go longer than that. I, I definitely don't wash my bike every month, and, and I should. I, I, I wash it um, probably quarterly, I, I think myself. Now, I, I am doing a lot of indoor training and, and not as much outdoor riding these days, but um, yeah, so, so definitely a reality check for me to hear that number. I'm sure it is for a lot of folks, and uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm curious when you talk about not putting the bike away wet, uh, kind of, and this is actually something I've, I've wondered before, when we do wash our bikes, obviously we're, we're getting it wet. What, what protocol, what steps do we take to dry it after that washing? Do we just air dry it? Do we need to be hand drying it with, with a towel? Like what, what is that, that effect water has on our bike? Yeah, so you want to you want to towel dry it. Um, the other kind of the cool hack that you can use that is really annoying to your neighbors is if you have one of those leaf blowers. <laughs> yeah, um, you could turn the leaf blower on and dry your bike off. It does a fantastic job. Uh, so that's a that's a nice little hack. I actually you know I have a cordless leaf blower, so it, it it's somewhat effective, and I don't use it for much besides drying my bike off. Um, but it's nice to air dry it because then you're not leaving streaks or anything on there and you can get to parts that aren't as easily accessible by a towel. Um, but yeah, if you put your bike away wet, if you ride it wet or you wash it and you leave it and you don't dry it, um, water creeps on the inside of your bike. And so things like your headset and your bottom bracket are very prone to being getting rust in them from leaving water inside your bike. And so the same thing, if you do a race in the rain and then it sits in transition, like you get your bike after this race, you better be doing everything you can to clean that bike as soon as possible. Um, because the last thing that you want is to put it away, pack it, go home a week later, take it out. And then you can't even turn the cranks because the bottom bracket bearings have completely rusted from putting it away wet. Uh, so you got to make sure you're drying that and a towel works wonderful. You just have to dry it. Sometimes it's a nice trick to just turn your bike upside down. 
uh, to let water drain out of it. Water gets in just about anywhere and sometimes it's very difficult to get out. Uh, and so sometimes even you need to like take your tires off of your bike because there's uh, water inside the rim and inside the tires, um, which just causes problems down the road. So getting the water out as soon as possible is always the best practice. Very insightful. And I do have a, a cordless leaf blower and I've never thought about using that to dry off my bike. I usually just let it air dry. So uh, I, I've already learned a new trick uh, from TJ today. Uh, Coach Chris, anything to add here on on fixing our bike? Particularly, I think something we haven't touched on, uh, that was all great from TJ, we haven't touched on the drivetrain yet and, and cleaning kind of some of those individual components. Uh, so, so, Chris, maybe I'm guiding your answer a little bit, but uh, <laughs> is, there, is there anything in that neck of the woods that maybe you can add to the conversation here? Yeah, well, I love the leaf blower idea. I never, never yeah, thought of that. Great. That's that's brilliant. Um, I know Take it down to a car wash. Just, just ride your bike through the car wash, right? <laughs> <laughs> I would say, like, I actually try to wash my bike more often i do it almost weekly when i'm doing indoor training um not as much when i'm doing outdoor training but it really just depends on on the conditions um because especially indoors and and maybe it's just me maybe my my sweat is very acidic but i i rust through everything i i just had my aero bar pads like the metal pad underneath the the cushion pad um uh, broke it cracked because I sweat so much that the screws rusted and that I guess compromised the the aero bar pads. So sweat getting down onto like the bottom bracket or getting down on your drivetrain if you're indoors can actually do more damage than outdoors where you have the wind kind of blowing things off. So I like to clean the bike weekly and I think of it in terms of mileage. So usually every 100 to 200 miles, I'll. I want to clean and lubricate the chain, especially like at least do that every, every hundred, 200 miles or at a minimum once a month. Um, even if you're doing indoor training only, just because if you're not cleaning your bike and you're getting a lot of sweat down on there, it, it can do a lot of damage. So I would say indoors or outdoors, lube your chain, you know, every hundred to 200 miles. And that could be once a week for, for most people, if you're doing a lot of training. Chris, do you have a uh, a favorite bike lube? I I don't have any specific brand. I've I've been using a, a couple different uh, brands. Um, one I've been using indoors is uh, Squirt, um, so an easy one to remember. You just squirt it right on. Um, but there's uh, a whole bunch of brands I've used over the years. I mean, there's some for different conditions too. So if you're doing outdoor riding in drier climates or wet climates, there's all different types. Some people wax their chains. I, I don't I don't put that effort in, unfortunately, but. Um, but yeah, I, I try to every week when I do a lot of esports races, like high intensity, you're sweating a lot, you're getting your bike really, really messed up in a lot of ways when you put a lot of a lot of sweat on it. Um, you know, I try to lubricate, but just protecting the bike too, like that can minimize how often you need to clean the bike. Like putting towels down in the key spots. So anyone who's on the trainer a lot, I would say have a towel that you actually wrap around your front brake and your rear brake when you're riding indoors. Just because the sweat comes down the seat, it comes down the seat post, goes down onto the rear brakes sometimes, um, or down the handlebar onto the front brake, you can start rusting your brakes. Um, but if you protect them with a towel, just to you know prevent a lot of sweat from from building up on top of them, you might not have to clean your bike, you know, maybe at most once a month or every couple of months. But it all depends on yeah what type of riding you're doing and how hard you're going. Um, that can all factor in, but I'd say the most important thing is just check check over your bike. TJ, do you have a favorite uh, bike lube? Yeah, so I'm actually going to give a shout out to my good buddy, Josh Portner. I thought you who, might. Who Josh owns Silka. Um, Josh has a product called Silka Super Secret Chain Lube, and it is absolutely fantastic. Um, it's a wax chain lubricant. And he actually has a prep that you put on your chain before you lube it to strip it of all the petrochemicals that are naturally installed on the chain. Um, So it strips it down and then you put the wax chain lube on top of there. Um, It's super good. And that brings up one other product that Silka makes, but there's also all kinds of competitors. You can find them pretty easily on Amazon. 
um, bike wipes. Um, so Andrew, before the podcast, we were talking about changing diapers. Uh, yeah, Andrew, Andrew's about to have a one-year-old here, so he's still in the heart of changing diapers all the time. And I remember that same stage in my life. And so, you know, as a parent, you never go anywhere without a diaper bag that has <laughs> diapers, bottles, and of course, wipes. Like you must like have all these baby wipes all the time. At all times. Yeah. yeah. So think about the same way as bikes, right? So if you have bike wipes with you all the time and Silka makes wonderful bike wipes. And again, you don't have to buy Silka's. You can buy somebody else's too. Um, but they're wipes and they're, they're textured. And so they really do a good job of cleaning off any rough debris, mud or stuff from your bike. Uh, they're super convenient to have. And if you care about your bike, like you do your baby. So if your bike is your baby, nice. carry the wipes yeah. with you and make sure you wipe that down after use. And that goes for indoor and outdoor riding, right? So um, if you did an excessive amount of sweating like Chris does on his uh, indoor rides, then you can wipe that down and, and have a nice clean bike uh, for the next session. Uh, I do want to throw out the disclaimer that you can be a triathlete, you can be a cyclist and not know a lick about any of this stuff. Uh, you'll probably find yourself in a mechanical jam from time to time out on the road uh, and not know how to do anything about it. And, and that's and that's fine. Um, please, oh, please do not take that expensive carbon bike and do anything to it that you are uncomfortable doing y- yourself. That, that's why the pros are there. The experts are there. Uh, but TJ and Chris are here to teach us a, a few things for those of us who are interested in doing some stuff on our own bikes. And, and, and I want to I want to talk first for maybe our triathletes who aren't super handy, that they don't want to do everything on their bike, but they're interested in doing some things to maintain their bike. I think I land in this category. Uh, What would you guys say are kind of the essential basics, like any triathlete interested in taking care of their bike in their garage week to week should be doing X, Y, and Z kind of items? And how can we learn how to do these items? Chris, over to you. Well, I think the, the, the basic thing is not maybe so much maintenance, um, although it partially is, is just learning how to fix a flat tire. Um, yeah. You know, that's always the, the basic skill everyone should learn. But with that, a part of the maintenance aspect of it is just making sure that you do check, and this doesn't have to be very often, but like every couple of years, um, checking the rim tape, if you have rim tape inside your wheel, um, that kind of covers up the spoke holes, because especially if you ride in wet weather a lot, that's commonly one thing that gets overlooked quite a bit. And it's a very common uh, cause of flat tires. And so if people have a lot of flat tires when they ride very often, I, I always encourage them to make sure you replace the rim tape on your, on your bikes and, and know how to, how to do that. Um, I think the other basic ones are if you know you're going to be traveling with your bike, anything that you might need to adjust when, whenever you're moving or transporting your bike. So learning how to adjust the brakes, I think, is a, a very you know, common skill that, that everyone should learn how to do. If you're taking the wheels on and off, you're putting your bike on a smart trainer, need to, you know, depending on what type of brakes you have, just building the confidence of knowing how to put a disc brake you know, wheel back on yeah, or a rim yeah, brake wheel. And, and some sometimes like I, I didn't know a lot about disc brakes. I had rim brakes for the longest time. And now I feel like I'm still learning quite a bit myself on, you know, how to how to take care of those and, and how to adjust those and things like that. Um, so I'd say, yeah, fix a flat, adjust the, the, the brakes, know how to adjust the brakes or tighten the brakes, you know, make sure you're safe when you're riding. Um, and then the derailers, if you have shifting issues, I'd say those are like the three basic, basic skills that I like to encourage everyone to learn. And it's something you can learn pretty quick and you'll use it all the time. Um, You know, there's additional skills too, but I would say those those are the basic, basic ones. Um, And then if you're doing any adjusting on your bikes, knowing how to not over tighten things. So getting a torque, getting a torque wrench um, for me was always one, one good tool that, help me build confidence in adjusting things on my bike. So a lot of really great things there, Chris, that you pointed out. Um, TJ, anything here to add on on what you like to, to talk to people about when it comes to the basics of maintaining their bike? Yeah, I mean, I think the other kind of big one to know, I, I mean, Chris, all those were awesome. So thanks for adding those. I would I would echo everything you said. Uh, the other thing that I would add is, is just knowing how to adjust both your aero bar and your seat. Um, and so 
The important thing with this is that you need to know where the set point is. And so there's, there's these key measurements that you need on your, on your bike, and then you can get set up on just about any bike. And those happen to be your saddle height, your saddle setback, how far it is behind or in front of the bottom bracket, your uh, pad stack and your pad reach. Okay, once you know those four things, you can pretty much get on any bike and ride. And so if, if you can adjust your bike and make sure that, that you're getting those in the right place all the time, then you're fine. Um, and I know you might not think like this is a big deal, but oftentimes if we're traveling with our bike or transporting it somehow, those measurements can be off. Um, the other big thing is, is it's very common for somebody to not have uh, their seat posts tightened all the way and so they get seat post slippage. Um, so knowing all of these things is very important uh, for every triathlete. I think every triathlete should have uh, an email to themselves so they have it all the time that yeah. has this information <laughs> in there that says my saddle height is this, my saddle setback is this, my pad stack is this, and my pad reach is this. And that way, even if you show up to a race and you don't have a bike, you can give that to any bike mechanic out there in the world and they can say, I'll get you set up on a bike that will let you feel somewhat comfortable on. Yeah. And now TJ, anybody that's had a bike fit, that those numbers should be in their bike fit profile supplied by the bike fitter. Absolutely. If somebody hasn't had a bike fit, what, what, what's a good manual way to figure out those measurements? Um, I made a short video to talk about this. Uh, I'd be happy to share, but uh, I'll kind of run through the the trial of how to do this is you, you want to put your bike like on a door, right? So in a door frame and line up the, the back of that door frame with the center of the bottom bracket. And that will allow you to measure your saddle setback from the door, right? So you can just measure that distance from the door. And then you do the same thing with the center of the bottom bracket uh, to the arrow bars will also allow you to tell you the reach of the arrow bar pads too. So just the distance from the edge of that door to the pads. So it's, it's pretty simple when you think about it in that terms. And then when you're talking about your, your, your pad uh, stack, you're just gonna measure your pads from the ground uh, to the back top of the pad, and then you're gonna subtract the distance from uh, the ground to the center of the bottom bracket. Um, and so it's, it's all fairly simple to do. Um, again, like I made a little video that I send to people on a weekly basis who are like, I have no idea what those measurements are <laughs> on my bike. How do I do it? Here, watch this you know, two minute video and then you can understand and you can you know, stand in front of your door and make these measurements and then know a lot more about your bike and how it fits. Yeah, I, I'm a visual learner. So we'll definitely put that link uh, in yeah. the podcast uh, description today. And uh, and of course, follow TJ Tollickson on, on YouTube because he, he's always putting out uh, some really good bike, uh, uh, good, good triathlon rants and bike knowledge uh, out on the YouTube. So uh, come, you know, you, you, you guys in, in Diamond come across my feet all the time. So I really like that entry, the doorway hack. That's a really you know, genius hack if you don't have like tools to measure things. Um, that's a really, really good idea. I, I wanted to throw in just one quick thing that actually uh, uh, feeds off of what TJ said in terms of like getting that those measurements done. Like if anyone doesn't have any like resources or knowledge of like, what am I measuring and what am I looking at? I know Park Tool on their website, they have some PDF files that show you both for road bikes and tri bikes. It's just a one page fit sheet and it shows you like all the different parts that are typically measured. And I usually encourage all my athletes to, to download that and just fill it out, like go through the process. Um, and that way you have a physical copy that you can actually put in with your bike if you're traveling. Um, so if you lose an electronic copy, you have a physical copy somewhere as well. Um, and a, a neat hack to do with that too is then get a piece of string and measure your saddle height from the bottom bracket up to the seat and then leave that piece of string in your uh, your bike saddle bag. And anytime you go, you travel, you have that, that saddle bag, your, you know, fix the flat tools, you have that piece of string to remeasure. So if you don't have a ruler handy or something like that, you can always like on the side of the road, you know, even even uh, just measure your, your saddle height. And that, that you can take to like indoor spin classes on indoor bikes. You know, you can have a little piece of string that you just have with your shoes or keep it wherever you want. And that's, a really good way but yeah he's his point is key like no get your fit measurements um, because a lot of bike shops that do basic bike fits don't give you your measurements like the real expensive yeah. bike fits will but you go to a shop they do a quick fit 
they don't necessarily tell you what your measurements are. So that's a huge, huge one for sure. All the tech in the bike space, and we're over here you know, learning how to use uh, leaf blowers and strings and door frames <laughs> to, uh, to to help us dial in certain things. But, but yeah, that's to, to go back to the basics. I mean, having your fit right when you go for a ride, or at least close to it, is a, is a, is a necessity. Uh, great points there. I'm going to move us on to some more advanced bike maintenance principles. I am an athlete that I've learned I am not interested in touching the advanced things. I, I want to trust the experts, but we have plenty of listeners, plenty of people that, that do want to learn that and know how to do that. So what, what for people interested in going beyond the basics, going beyond the essentials, what would you guys say are some things they should learn how to do uh, to even take more care of their bike themselves without depending so much on a bike shop? TJ, what do you think? The number one thing for me is uh, making sure you know how to properly adjust your headset. So this is probably the biggest challenge for most people, but it's absolutely critical because if you, especially with disc brakes, if you ride your bike with a loose headset and you have a front disc brake, you're going to crack the steer tube on your fork. Um, it's super, super dangerous to do that. There's so much stopping power that then gets transferred into the headset that it just needs to be tight, right? And so it's not a complicated part. It's actually very simple. But if you look at it for the first time, it's overwhelming and, and scary. It is absolutely frightening. And so anybody who wants to do this, there are some great videos. I've got a YouTube video on headsets, but there are others out there. that You could talk about how the headset goes together, the pieces, uh, the order of operations when you're tightening a headset is very, very important. You have to do step A before you do step B before you do step C. And it's important because if you do them backwards, you're not going to end up with the right result. Okay. And so um, knowing how to tighten a headset, how to take apart all the bearings, the entire headset, clean that part of your bike and put it back together. That's one of the most advanced features that becomes very, very important. Uh, and again, a, a loose headset while you're riding, one uh, will create wobbles in your bike when you're riding, it will create loose braking and just bad handling of the bike. But a whole bunch of people ride around every day with loose headsets they don't know that it's loose and they don't know how to tighten it. Um, and so if I was going to tell somebody right now, the, the best step to kind of, kind of test to see if your headset's tight, uh, grab the brakes, rock the bike forward. And then the second thing is pick your bike up by the stem, just a couple inches, drop it. Okay. Do the vibration check, right? So if it bounces and everything feels tight, your headset's probably tight. If you drop your bike from two inches, just the front end, if you drop it on the ground and bounce it on that tire uh, and it rattles, you need to tighten your headset. Um, and so that's that's probably the number one thing for me. And, and as, as an owner of a bike company, I see this pretty regularly is... Uh, customers have loose headsets and they don't they don't know what to do. Um, and then occasionally I'll have customers break a fork because they're riding around with a loose headset. And so um, it's one of those things like you just you need to know. And the more you know, the better equipped you can be to handle that. Is that something TJ that that just loosens over time, and we just seem to always keep an eye on it, or is it only when we're taking apart the bike, putting it back together? Yeah, it's, it absolutely can loosen over time. So some of the things, uh, you know, I noticed my own bike, uh, if, I, if I attach it to a trainer that has a fork mount, uh, you'll notice that that over time, all the twisting and you're locking the axle in place is slightly loosening the headset. So it will loosen over time. So it's not something that you're like, hey, I tighten this once and it's good forever, right? Like it, it will actually loosen itself. And that's similar to, you know, it, I, I compare it to lug nuts on a, on a vehicle, right? You know, if you have your tires rotated, they'll tighten those to torque and they'll tell you, hey, in 2,000 more miles of riding, check those lug nuts again so they're not loose, right? Um, and you're like, well, I don't, how would that happen? You torqued them down. They shouldn't come <laughs> loose. Well, that's you used it, right? And so things can naturally loosen a little bit just with road vibration. And so uh, that's that's something you definitely want to pay attention to. No, no, that, that I've never... I've never been told to do that. Never heard of that. And this is exactly why we're having this conversation. Uh, Chris, anything beyond uh, beyond that that you would categorize as a more advanced skill that would be good for a triathlete to know? I'd say the the other big one that um, I would think of really, I guess, one or two quick things. One is just um, 
uh, getting comfortable with taking the rear derailleur off, um, especially if you're traveling with your bike or you're putting your bike in a bike box. It's super simple, but just building the, the confidence to do that, I think, is something that, that, that folks should learn. And, and with that, learning how to adjust the derailleur once you put it back on and just to make sure your shifting is working properly. Um, and there's so many good resources. One, you know, two, two quick um, like YouTube channels I'll mention, Park Tool and Global Cycling Network. Like they have a lot of good videos where they, they in very, you know, high quality, step-by-step, -step, walk people through a lot of these things of, of how to do this. Um, so I'd say that that would be a big one. Um, and the other one is more, more safety, I would say, is just, it's not really that much more advanced, but <clears throat> besides fixing a flat tire, replacing the rim tape, I think I mentioned. Um, but with that, also making sure that you spend the time, if you're someone who does have a tendency of getting flat tires, figuring out why you get flat tires and being a little bit more advanced with, you know, maintaining and being really comfortable with maintaining your tires. You know, and that can be if you're tubeless, learning how to use a sealant. A lot of people are really nervous about that with the new tubeless yeah. uh, wheels with, with sealant. Um, and also just looking over your tires. Like a lot of people don't spend the time to just, you know, look over your tire because the reason why a lot of people get flats is you ride all the time. You get a lot of little sharp pieces of glass and metal and things embedded in your tire. And it's not you hitting a pothole that causes the flat. It's you riding over and over and over and over again. And that little piece of glass or metal gets wedged in deeper. So one kind of somewhat advanced skill I usually encourage people to learn is just getting really close to your tire and using like either a flashlight um, and maybe like a little piece of metal, like your keys, and pick out all the little pieces of metal or glass that get embedded in the tire. And usually if you're diligent about that and take care of your tires, like you take care of the rest of your bike, you'll avoid getting flat tires. Um, it's a number one way of preventing flats. So especially for new people who are nervous about getting flat tires, I would say that's a, a key, you know, it's a basic maintenance uh, skill to learn, but I think you can get more advanced with it and that can really build confidence. Yeah, build confidence and, and keep you writing without frustration, yeah, without headaches, yeah. without problem. Because yeah, to, to your point, if you're con continuing to get flat tires, there's a, there's a reason. T tires shouldn't just flat all the time. Um, the, the, the next question I have is, is for, for athletes who do want to try doing most things on their own, would you say there's a point where, Hey, if you're going to do X, Y, and Z, you should just take it to the shop. Like, like what, 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 what are, what's kind of your wisdom and, and TJ, maybe I'll, I'll pitch this question to you as, as the, the, the maker of bikes. Uh, what, what do you say to your customers, to, to your athletes when it comes to, Hey, this is the point where you should just take it to a shop and not worry about it yourself. Well, I'm going to say it's, it's varies by the individual, right? So you want to, you want to do what you're comfortable doing. And when you're not comfortable doing, that's when you need to use the shop. And I will also say, just be realistic about the timeline, right? So if, if you're trying something new for the first time, you know, budget two days, to work on it. And then so like you're saying you're working on changing this, you thought you could go on a ride the next day. Yeah. Well, that's the reality when you're learning something new, it might take that long. And sometimes we can get into a shop in a day and they can fix something other times they can't, right. So, so you got to be careful, like, you go down some rabbit hole trying to install a crank yourself, and then you end up going to a bike shop. The other big resource that I'll say is everybody has that friend, right? You've got one friend that knows <laughs> more about bikes than you do, right? So like keep that friend's phone number handy, right? And just know that, hey, if I get into trouble, I can do this. I have one more hack that I like to try to tell people to do um, when they're learning to do stuff on their bike or doing something for the first time. And that would be to take pictures and more importantly, videos when you're uninstalling something. So then you can understand how it goes back together. That's great. So, yeah. so if, if for instance, we're taking apart our headset, right? Um, if I take videos while I'm doing this, if I set up my phone or have somebody video me while I'm doing this, then I can see how everything is supposed to look when I'm done. Uh, and then I know what I'm doing, right? So things that you might not care about that matter a huge deal, like in your headset, the orientation of the bearings. So the headset bearings, one has a beveled edge and one has a flat edge. Those beveled edges both point towards the middle of the head tube, but you might not know that if you took it apart and just threw the bearing on the ground. And so you're thinking, which way does this go? Well, if you took pictures and videos of everything, you can go back and look at that as you're 
reassembling stuff to know this where it goes here. Chris mentioned earlier about taking your derailleur off, the same thing. If you're gonna take your derailleur off for the first time, take a video of yourself taking it off so then you know how it goes back on. Um, and so anytime you find yourself in trouble, your first call should be that one friend that knows more about bikes than you to see maybe you can help yourself. The next step, go straight to the pros, right? Call your bike shop and just be re realistic with the timeline. That They might not be able to help you in five minutes. It might be three days, two weeks, who knows? Um, and so that's why I say first call, look for that friend who knows more than you. And then second call straight to the pros, you know, based on a lot of the principles we've covered already here on the show, what, what tools, because it takes certain tools to do all these things for the home mechanic, who's trying to do all of the essentials on their own bike. What, what tools are good to have at home, uh, to kind of take care of all these things. Chris, my main things that I would recommend are a, a good multi-tool um, or a little little like basic bike maintenance toolbox. Like sometimes they'll sell, sell it as a kit where they have a whole bunch of tools together. But I think having a good multi-tool is a key um, first step, especially with newer bikes, making sure that there are things on there that you might need for your bike, like a bike plug kit, like for fixing a, a tire for a tubeless tire, um, also a chain breaker on that. So the multi-tool sometimes comes with all of those things now, the newer multi-tools. So having a good multi-tool, I think is step one, just so you can do the basic stuff. A torque wrench, if you're doing anything with a, an expensive bike that has carbon parts, um, it's a, a wrench that you can adjust the tension on so you don't over tighten or under tighten things is what a torque wrench is. So I think it, investing in that is a good, you know, first major tool to get. Um, and another really basic one is just have some gloves. So whether it's just basic uh, nitrile gloves or they actually make like bike mechanics gloves, they'll have like a little more grip, a little more durable. I think I forget the brand, but it might be Finish Line. They make like a pretty inexpensive pair of um, bike maintenance gloves that just make working on your bike more fun. You know, you're not getting grease all over your hands. You're not making a big mess. So when you start building that confidence from having the right tools to do things, you, you just naturally will start doing more. So I think those are the, the basic, basic things. Um, and then if you're getting into like doing more maintenance on a regular basis, I would say a bike stand, like something where you can secure your bike and it's easy to, to do a lot of these things because sometimes that's the hardest part is like you're leaning your bike against a wall trying to do something or you can't rotate the crank around and you, you know, you adjust one thing and it moves another part. So make your life easier by buying some type of bike stand. Um, sometimes it can be a bike rack, like a storage rack that has a, you know something built in that allows you to hold your bike stationary so you can do a lot of maintenance things. My bike travel case actually has a bike stand built into it. So when I travel with my bike and I'm putting my bike back together, I have a whole work stand that pops out of my, my travel case. Um, and even though it was expensive to get that travel case, it was a two-in-one purchase. Um, so having a good bike stand, I think definitely makes a difference. Yeah. I, I had uh, been wanting a, a bike maintenance stand for a long time and just never pulled the trigger on it. The, the kind of the caliber of one I was looking for, for my at home garage was a couple hundred dollars more than I just wanted to pull the trigger on any given time. And all of a sudden on uh, Facebook marketplace, I saw a lady post one that was, is was, was a park tools. It was the exact one I wanted. Uh, it, it was, she posted it for like a hundred bucks. They had just been sitting in their garage and no one was using it. It was, uh, she, she was located 20 minutes down the road and I, I just, boom, done, claimed it, went, drove to her house right then and there, bought it. So yeah, it, it's made a huge difference for, for just my ability to comfortably, uh, efficiently do what I am trying to do on my bike. Uh, even if it's just washing the bike, like we were talking about before, even just for washing my bike, it, it's made it that much easier just to pop it up on the stand, get out the hose, do it. And now I'll, now I'll follow up with the leaf blower, uh, while it's still in the, in the bike stand. So good, good point there, Chris. Uh, TJ, any tools you would add to that list for the home mechanic? Yeah, so we talked a little bit about the flat repair stuff. So we'll go over the flat repair kit tools that you need here too. Yeah. So uh, you'll need a CO2 inflator, a couple CO2 cartridges, uh, that multi-tool that Chris mentioned, tire levers. So everybody needs tire levers to be able to change flat tires, um, a patch or a plug, uh, you know, you might need that. A valve extender if you have deep carbon wheels, so you need to have a, an extra valve extender and or the wrench to remove the valve extender um, becomes really important. Uh, the little hack for getting the tubeless nut off, 
those seem really tough sometimes. This is a nice little trick is once, once the um, tire is off the bike, to get that nut off, you want to push the nut from the inside. Uh, so push uh, that valve from the inside and that'll create just a tiny bit of space so you can loosen that nut. Um, so those are really tight. Sometimes that's a tricky thing to do, especially yeah, on the road. Sure is. <laughs> um, and so that's, that's a little trick that we use at the shop here. Um, more advanced stuff uh, that I still think is really important for everyone to have a cassette uh, lock ring tool. So your cassette is locked on with a special lock ring tool and there's a couple different kinds of those. Um, and then you also need a chain whip. Uh, it's kind of a funky looking tool, but that's how you remove a, a cassette. So if you wanted to change one cassette to another, that's an important tool to have. And my last one that I'm gonna recommend here is, is the disc brake rotor tool. Um, so a lot of times that's the same as a Shimano bottom bracket tool. Other times it's the same as the cassette lock ring tool. Um, those are the kind of the two standards for uh, disc brake rotor lock rings. Um, but this is really important because anytime you're traveling with your bike, you should be removing those rotors because if you bend your rotor, it's possible to bend it back, uh, but it's kind of a nightmare to have to deal with. So I never recommend anybody ever ship their bike with a disc rotor installed. Um, and so it's nice to be able to have the tool to take that off and put it back on uh, yourself without having to go to a shop. All of these tools can be found on Amazon. None of them are super expensive. Obviously, there's nice brands. Soka makes tools. Park Tool makes wonderful tools. Pedro's. Uh, there's there's all kinds of bike-specific tools. You can use some other um, things like a wrench set. Uh, doesn't have to necessarily be a name brand to be uh, functional for what you're trying to do. So I think all in, you know, tool-wise, for a few hundred dollars, you can have a very nice set of tools that can function. Every one of those tools that we mentioned, including a bike stand, uh, would be the most expensive. But all of those tools could be purchased for a few hundred dollars or less. Um, for a nice home mechanic toolbox. Yep, no, absolutely love it. And, and some great additions there, TJ. I, I'm proud to say I almost had everything on Chris and TJ's list. The the only thing you guys mentioned that I do not have is the, the disc brake rotor tool. Uh, and again, I'm still fairly new to disc brakes. I've had both of my diamond bikes with disc brakes for just a little bit over a year. So that's that's the next thing I, I, I suppose I'm adding to my my personal list, uh, based off of TJ's uh, little spiel there. So not knowing what to do is is that in first intimidation, you know, not having the right tools to do it. And so I think it, once you get the tools, you'll use them, <laughs> and that builds builds the confidence. Yeah, and that's a great point, Chris. That's a great point. Just because because I think that's that's probably the barrier to a lot of people doing more stuff on their own bike. Right? Is is the knowing what questions to ask, knowing where to learn how to do it. You know, and then once you have the interest in doing it, yeah, like, like just figuring out what tool I need to do it and then how to do it, like that, that's a very good way of putting it. And it, not to generalize, but like one thing, if people get intimidated by the cost of a lot of this, you know, working on your bike can get expensive very quickly. One of the best investments, and I hate to generalize triathletes, but we tend to spend so much time swim, biking, and running. Sometimes we don't spend as much time working on our bikes. Whereas the single sport athletes, the cyclists who just do cycling, they tend to spend more time just cycling and working on their bikes more. So joining not just a local triathlon club, but joining a local bike club, I think is one of the best investments that you can do. I know here in Chicago, like, you know, to plug one of our local teams, Triple X Racing, big local cycling team, and you can join the club, I forget, like most bike clubs, it's like $50, $100 for the year for a membership. And then you're in this forum, in this group, where you have any bike questions, you can be like, oh, I don't have this tool, does somebody else have it? And we see people sharing tools and swapping tools. Like if it's a tool you're only going to use once, you don't need to buy it. But you have a friend in a club that has it. You can share those tools. And I think that's one of the, the best ways to get started rather than being intimidated about having to buy like all these tools and not knowing if you have the right tool. Um, it's just a big cost savings um, way to kind of get into bike maintenance. That's a great idea. And I've learned a lot of bike principles, but both training and taking care of the bike, just setting up your, your, your bike, you know, how to, how to accessorize your bike, right. Just bottle cages, just different strategies for that kind of stuff from joining the, the Saturday and then midweek group rides of some of the, the bike clubs in the area that have group rides, uh, some shops in the area have group rides and just joining those group rides. You see how cyclists set up their bikes, how they, you know, what, what they do to their bikes before a ride. And, and, you know, I, I, you learn a lot just by watching that. It's a really good point there, Chris. 
Uh, two more questions I'm going to ask. I'm going to throw one of these to Chris, one of these to TJ, and then we'll shut it down for today. Uh, my, my next question, Chris, is, is about the the indoor trainer. Uh, uh, talk to us about what's happening to our bike when it's staying indoors so much and what we need to do to take take care of it exclusively when it's indoors more often. Yeah, I mean, especially because you don't have as much wind blowing things off of you and off of the bike. You can get a lot of just sweat building up in all different parts of the bike. Um, you know, like your your body is right over the, the head tube and the headset and you can get a lot of sweat in there. So one of the basic things is just protecting that. So getting what we call a bike thong or a sweat guard. Um, it's just kind of like a purpose designed, you know, stretchy thing that you attach to your handlebars and then to your seat post. And it just catches a lot of the sweat that goes down directly over that headset and the, and, and the frame of the bike. So I think getting getting something like that is really important. But yeah, then just cleaning cleaning the bike regularly. You know, putting towels in the right spots, like putting them over the brakes, so you're not sweating down over the metal parts of your your bike too often. And then just wiping it down, having those bike wipes and just wiping your frame down. One thing that I really didn't notice that much until I really got into the esports cycling more and more, and I was putting more and more time on the on the trainer. Um, is sweat getting down through my shoes and sweat getting down on the bolts of the cleat on the bottom of your shoe and those rusting. Oh, yeah. um, so actually looking at that and making sure you just wipe that area of your bike down. And if you have like power meter pedals, people have really expensive pedals these days. If you get a lot of sweat going down there over those electronics, even though they're really well sealed, sometimes like the spring, the tension spring on the cleats can rust. So if you're not paying attention, like if you think of all the sweat that comes down your body, it generally goes two places, down your legs, through your feet, onto the pedals, or down over your saddle and then down that seat post. And that will eventually go down to like the bottom bracket and the brake. And so just being cognizant of a lot of sweat coming down in those areas and either covering it with a towel and so you don't have to clean it as often or just getting bike wipes and cleaning those areas down on a regular basis, I think is critical. I'm going to, I'm going to add one thing here to this quickly. Um, every time you're riding inside, you have exposed bolt heads that you're often sweating into. And those are often the first thing to rust. So my quick hack for this is to take a Q-tip, dip it in some Vaseline, put that Q-tip inside the bolt head of all those bolts that are exposed that you're dripping sweat into, that Vaseline will keep those bolt heads from rusting. Wow. How, how often do we need to do that? Is that a, is that a one-time? One, once deal? a year, once a year wow. deal, right? That Vaseline's not going anywhere. It's staying in there and it's, it's, it's waterproof, so. There you go, Chris. That was one of my favorite investments is just the bike grease, like a bike grease container. And then like, you know, take those screws out and just dip them in there and put a lot of it on, like a lot of extra bike grease kind of acts like that Vaseline and just creates a barrier so sweat can't get down in there. Um, and yeah, I've, I've noticed that like some, some bolts on your bike are very rust, proof and resistant and some are not so yeah finding tricks like that uh, i think that's an awesome tip i love that help help yeah so, so it sounds like the the primarily our sweat is is the the biggest threat to our bike when we're training indoors so yeah all those tips are great to help thwart uh the, the rest from getting into important parts of our bike uh tg I'm, I'm curious on this one because if anybody has a diamond bike and they show up to a a race where the diamond team is uh, you guys will do a, a pre-race tune-up for them on the spot in the village before their race. Uh, I, I, I personally, the, the next time I do a major race, I've got to make sure I, I align with the schedule of the Diamond Van so that I can get my pre-race tune-up uh, on, my, on my bike. But uh, I'm curious, TJ, for athletes, they have a race on the calendar, and, and when it comes to the pre-race tune-up, it's, it's one of the most important kind of rituals before your race is to make sure your bike's in, in good working order before your race. You know, what, what, what do athletes need to know about doing that pre-race tune-up? What are the important things to do? Uh, or is it something we should just take to a shop and let a shop do it? It's going to depend on what you're, what you're doing and how you're traveling to the race with your bike. Uh, but, but yeah, so you want to make sure that your chain is looped uh, or a freshly waxed chain. Uh, so that's that's running your drivetrain is really smooth. You want to make sure that the shifts are all precise and crisp that there's no lag in your shifting 
Uh, you want to make sure your headset's tight. You want to make sure your tires uh, are in good condition, no nicks or cuts in them. You want to make sure that uh, it's holding air and pressures up properly. Um, uh, those are the those are the kind of the big checks that you want to go through on your bikes. You know, we'll we'll go through with the torque wrench and make sure all the key bolts, the seat post, the headset, all everything's tight um, and that it's functioning properly. I'll say this because this is the most important thing. Even after we check your bike, you should go ride your bike. Yeah, um, yes. Because, yes. because <laughs> how it performs in the stand is not necessarily how it performs on the road, right? So even after it's been checked, go ride it just to make sure. That's the peace of the mind that you want on race day to know, hey, when I get this thing in, in T1, it's ready to go. Um, you can use the mechanics on race side if you have a diamond. Uh, Quintana Roo is usually there. They'll do the same thing. If, if your bike company is not at the expo, there's usually a mechanic that you can pay. Um, you know, they're 60 to 85 bucks to do a pre-race tune. For the amount of money you've invested this far, it's worth doing. Um, so it doesn't make a lot of sense to go to your shop uh, to do your pre-race tune, if then you pack it in a bike case and travel to the race, then you kind of have to do that all over again right before the race. Oh, good point. Um, and so you can use your local shop if you're going to drive, say, for you to Galveston or something, then, yeah. then that's fine. Then your bike's all set up and ready to go. If you are flying, I suggest... Uh, if the bike wasn't in your car when you're transporting it, then I suggest using somebody on race site to do your pre-race check. When I hear you go through the list of, of, of what happens in a, in a pre-race tune-up, it's not a, a super intimidating list. Like, even if, like if you said, hey, Andrew, would you do your own pre-race tune-up on your own bike? I'd be like, no, I'm going to pay somebody to do it because I'm not, I'm not a, a bike mechanic. But if somebody invests some of the money we're talking about and some of the tools you're like the, the essential tools you guys mentioned, you can do a pre-race tune up with those essential tools. And so if you are mechanically inclined or mechanically interested, you know, you spend some money on some tools, you make an investment and it'll pay for itself in free pre-race tune ups. If you have the confidence in learning how to do uh, all those things on TJ's list right there. So, uh, really, really great stuff. And, and plenty of people obviously do their own. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm more inclined at this juncture in my life to pay somebody professionally, especially when the race matters a lot. But, uh, th thanks TJ for running us through that list. Uh, last question I, I'm, I'm curious about before we shut it down. And I, I want to hear from both of you because you both work on bikes quite a bit. What do you think is the most challenging individual bike part or bike maintenance process to do on a bike. TJ, what do you think it is? Bleeding hydraulic brake lines. Um, okay. Without a doubt, it is bleeding hydraulic brake lines. So uh, for those who don't know, if you have disc brakes, there's a few different types of disc brakes that you have. The most powerful stopping brakes are hydraulic disc brakes, and they run a cable from your brake lever all the way to the brake, and that, that cable is filled with either mineral oil or DOT fluid, and to make sure those function properly, sometimes you need to bleed your brakes. You might have heard that term and you don't know what that means. It's yep. like uh, your brain starts to bleed when you hear that term because uh, you're like, I, I don't want to deal with this. But bleeding <laughs> your brakes involves removing the air bubbles from that hose. And it's very challenging to do. It takes a lot of practice uh, to know when to get it right, how to do it right. And so that's my one thing that I'd say that that's probably the most advanced skill that somebody needs to know how to do. Um, and it's why hydraulic disc brakes aren't for everybody as well. Um, and so I'm gonna say like, if you're having a problem with your brake that feels super squishy, the handle pulls in, take it to a shop or a pro because it's probably above most people's grade of dealing with themselves. Chris, did TJ nail it? Do you have the same answer or do you have something uh, that, that you find extremely challenging as well? For me though, it's it's the, the tubeless. Tubeless is kind of new new to me. Using the sealant, figuring out the tire pressure, like different types of tires. You know, I have a gravel bike now, so I haven't had a gravel bike before and I'm learning about, you know, tubeless, you know, how to fix things. And I had a slow leak and I was trying to figure out, just, you know, pump more tubeless, you know, liquid in there, um, some sealant in there to try to get it to seal up. And just having little issues like that, like dealing with that is, uh, it seems like it's a simpler technology and it, it is in many ways, but um, learning how to do things properly the first time is, is always challenging. And I think that that was one that um, some triathletes, I think, don't even know about. Like they buy a new 
time trial bike. I've had a few athletes where I ask them, I'm like, oh, is this running tubes or is it tubeless? And they don't even know. Wow. Um, so then they don't know if they need to put sealant in or not. And so just learning that, I think, is um, is a, a little intimidating for the new new triathlete, but definitely something that um, you should look into. All right, Chris, I'm going to add something real quick while we're on this topic, because <laughs> uh, you're, you're right about this. So um, for starters, if you have tubeless tires and you get a flat tire, you can put a tube in there. Um, you can put a tube inside there. Uh, fix your flat tire, keep riding. It's not the best long-term solution, um, especially if you have a hookless rim. Uh, we're not going to get into that. We covered that in a different episode. Uh, we have, yes. Secondly, if uh, you have a leak in your tubeless setup, 99.9% of the time, it's your tape. It's your tape, it's your tape, it's your tape. So you might think, oh, it's coming through the valve hole, it's coming through here, let's do this, add more sealant, it'll stop. No, if it's leaking 99.9% .9 of the time, it is your tape, you need to redo your tape from start to finish. Uh, that fixes most of those problems. Um, and lastly, I do believe that once you figure out tubeless, uh, it, it will be less intimidating and you will actually have fewer flats, but it's very important to remember to add sealant at least one time in the middle of the year. You cannot just continue because that latex sealant will dry out and you will have no flat protection. So you got to make sure you add sealant at least once during the season. Great set, everyone. Let's cool down. Well, friends, it's cool down time and I'm Vanessa, your average triathlete with elite level enthusiasm. Today's guest is passionate for the beauty of sport as it has transformed his life and also the lives of his nearest and dearest. Jake Graham is an engineer, triathlon lover, coach, and a thrill seeker with a bright and inquisitive mind. After discovering TriDot as an athlete, he immersed himself in the community, became an ambassador, and soon afterwards, a certified coach. Jake loves working with athletes with diverse backgrounds, those who enjoy analyzing data to maximize performance, in addition to those with unique dietary needs. Jake currently lives in Detroit and is moving to Salt Lake City with his fiance this year. Welcome to the show, Jake. Thanks, Vanessa. I'm a longtime listener, so excited to be here. Awesome. I love hearing that. Now, I'm pretty sure that you recently crossed something off your bucket list that sounds like a completely epic experience. So tell us a little bit about your heli skiing adventure. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was actually just before the pandemic started in 2020, a group of friends and I went out to Colorado and embarked upon a lifelong dream of mine to go heli skiing. I just want to clarify that that did not involve barrel rolling out of a helicopter with skis strapped to our feet and hitting the slopes at full speed. Um, but rather, we were packing our equipment into the helicopter, being taken off to some pretty remote and new terrain where we were able to explore um, some beautiful skiing. That's amazing. Were you, were you first tracks on the snow? We were every time oh, we went wow. up a couple different times and they uh, always took us to a new spot where we got to make those first tracks, which was pretty fun. Okay. I have one more question about this. So how does the quad burn compare to big gear workout? <laughs> <laughs> a day of heli skiing compared to big gear workout? Ooh, I mean, big gear workouts on a different level than anything else. Uh, similar, similar, I would say, um, because okay. when you're out on that mountain, you're just trying to get every last, uh, inch out of it. Um, I would say the skiing is a bit more enjoyable than the big year workout. Let's hear what you, what tip you have for our listeners. The tip I wanted to share today is my strategy for being successful with implementing goals. And that is by aligning your identity with your goal. Um, so I think as a lot of us know, something like over 90% of goals that people set don't end up getting realized. And I think um, the reason that happens is because people end up focusing on the goal, but not necessarily the why. So what I have found is that rather than stopping at identifying your why, if we take it to the next level and connect our goals with our identity, we become much more successful in realizing the goal. So what does this all mean? By aligning your goal with your identity, you eliminate questions or at least questions change from why you are doing something to what you are doing or how you're doing it. 
So for example, when you think of somebody who identifies themselves as a reader, it, you never question when they crack open a book at lunchtime and they dive in, right? Same thing if you uh, know somebody who is a parent and has young kids. If they have a bag with them full of diapers and snacks, that makes a lot of sense. So by acknowledging what your identity is, the questions that people have for you aren't why you're doing something, but it's just uh, maybe what you're doing or how you're accomplishing it. Um, so this is important because um, this allows you to have better conversations around what your goals are. You'll get more support from your community around it. Um, and then I think a lot of times people end up having this internal struggle. So even when you identify what your why is, a lot of times that can be a longer a longer thing. So when you're sitting in bed um, at a cold winter morning um, or just not feeling motivated to get out and go for that workout and you have to think about your why, sometimes that can take a little while and you can talk yourself out of it. If your identity is that you are a triathlete, you will not have to question that. You will say, I'm a triathlete. This is what I do. Um, it also, I've been in uh, situations where I'm on a camping trip with friends and I wake up in the morning to go for a swim and nobody questions it because they know Jake is a triathlete. This is what he does. Whereas if I wasn't connected to my identity around that, then there would be more questions I have to explain every time I'm doing that or every time I'm getting together with family, I'm going to go for a run because I'm training for this event. There's never a question. Everybody knows this is who he is. This is what he's going to do. So I think there's a lot of power in connecting those goals and your why to what your identity is. And ultimately, that identity is going to be a mindset shift. So that's the really key important part of all of this is making that mindset shift. And it's not necessarily going to happen overnight, but you'll start to see how the conversation changes when you do make that shift, because you'll internally think of yourself differently. You're a, you're a triathlete. You are a runner. And this doesn't have to be people who have completed Ironmans or completed long triathlons. If you've done a triathlon, if you are training for a triathlon, you're a triathlete, you are doing the work. And so that is, that is really important part of this as well. Um, I think a lot of times runners have this as well. Um, so I want to, you know, connect to the, the run dot community here too, to share that if you are running, you're a runner, incorporate that into your identity so that there's no question as to what your, um, what training you're doing and why you're doing it. I was sitting here and I had shivers and, and goosebumps because I 100% agree with you on every different level. And I often find myself telling um, newer athletes the exact same thing. Like if you're, if you're training as in, in swim, bike and run, you're a triathlete. It's fun to be considered a triathlete, to be um, part of that community. Um, and ultimately it just simplifies everything. Somebody asks you why you're doing something. I'm a triathlete. That's why I'm doing this. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe and share the TriDot podcast with your triathlon crew. For more great tri content and community, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to optimize your training? Head to TriDot.com and start your free trial today. Try Die, the obvious and automatic choice for triathlon training.